Welcome back, everyone. This is our last episode of Women in Business. And today I have one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite subjects, Money, Money, Money with Cheryl Nelson Boyd. And we're going to be breaking down money. And you can't be a princess anymore. You've got to be in charge of your finances. So stay with me. Hello, everyone. This is Meredith with a Y, and I am your host, Meredith Willett. Today, we are going to go deep, changing lives, and I am giving you the keys to the castle. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here because we cannot be princesses anymore. We must be queens and know our finances. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. It's, I've been waiting and waiting. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we're doing it today. We're, we're telling doing women, it. No more. No more. You know, when I it's die, over. contact this attorney and he'll tell you everything. No. Or being oblivious as to what you own and where your money's at. No more signing papers and ending up in jail like so many housewives <laughs> on TV. Like, we're done. We're done. We are tapping out. The lessons have been learned. Yes. It's time for the next phase. And so just to let everyone know, so you tell everyone what you do and then we're going to get into it. Yes. So I am a certified financial planner and behavioral financial advisor. I've been working, it'll be 15 years next year because I started as a baby and I focus my practice around supporting working families that are juggling multiple financial goals. So maybe they're starting a family, starting a business, doing both, and then also thinking about their long-term or thinking about other liabilities and things like that. So really understanding how we create a balance and really keep people connected to their money. Yeah. Because, okay. Like I just said, it's not working. Head in the sand doesn't work. Head in the sand doesn't work. Princess mentality doesn't work. Ignoring it and hoping that our money problems go away. Thinking that retirement retirement is going to be 35,000 years in the future and we'll get, Mm -hmm. we'll figure it out when we get there or social security is going to handle it. All of these things don't work. No, we have to have the come to Jesus. We have to get Mm -hmm. with someone who might know more than us about money. Absolutely. I think you, most people see it in their own life or it happens to them where something happens financially or otherwise, that is completely unexpected. And it exposes all these years of ignoring, deferring, whatever. And it might be a death. It might be a divorce. It might be a job change. It doesn't really matter what the event is. If you haven't built that discipline and built that relationship with your money, you have the rudest awakening. And most of the time you can recover from it. Of course, financial recovery happens in everybody's life because of these unexpected events. But if you start with a good foundation and you're working with a team of professionals that connect you to your money, that's where we can try to control some of these factors that we can't control. And what I have seen way too often in my line of work is, just the outsourcing, like, oh, that person understands my investments. They understand insurance. They understand our estate plan. They understand my buy-sell agreement. But do you understand it? How much time are you spending really looking at these numbers, knowing your numeric reality and checking in with yourself about how you feel when we're doing this disconnect behavior of like, and I'm a fan of outsourcing. So don't get me wrong. (laughs) I I never want to clean my bathroom again, right? 
I still have to go in it and see it and understand what's happening in there. Right. And when we outsource, it really means that there's something about it or when we're using disconnect that we're not ready to face. Maybe there's a stressful situation. Maybe there's a decision we made that we're still regretting that we haven't worked through, but this deferring doesn't change the past either. So it's really about finding people that can empower you to focus on what you need to do. Yeah. And it's, you know, for people out there, like I know, you know, we all have the relative who never saved for retirement Mm -hmm. or we have, you know, I'm seeing it in, and unfortunately in some people's lives, which is, you know, they have to work basically until they die or Mm -hmm. they have, you know, like we've seen it with COVID, you know, they, they don't have any money to go to for any type of situation. And you know, or the wife didn't know that they couldn't afford things and was just buying and spending and buying and spending. And the husband didn't want to disappoint, i.e. Erica Girardi, hello, and just kept funneling money, right? Funneling money, housewives, restaurants. (laughs) But because, and and we see this, it's like we're living in a dream. And, you know, I, I would like to be there. I would like sometimes to be the princess. It's a nice dream. I mean, dreams are important, but you don't want to be in the nightmare. And Meredith and I are both housewife, huge fans. Love it. And I do think that show is, it's so fun and entertaining, but then you see these really difficult situations that these women land in and you think like, wow, that, how could that ever happen? And then it's like, well, it actually happens all the time. So much of my practice is working with women that are in these unexpected transitions and we'll work on how to describe it, but it just means that they thought they were going to be married forever. And then they weren't all of a sudden and never had worked with the checkbook, looked at retirement accounts, like never had worked with that stuff. And it's important in a relationship. If, if somebody really likes to do that, I don't really like to budget. My husband likes to look at those numbers. Great. But come together, you know, don't yeah. let one person handle everything and then ha- also give them all the stress of handling that. Yeah. Really the goal of working with a financial planner is to translate sometimes between the couple of like what the needs are and what the goals are, but also be that neutral party where I don't need to talk to you about what you spend at Starbucks. Maybe you guys want to talk about that later, but this is how much we need to save for whatever the goals are. Or this is how much you're spending on Starbucks. Like, yeah, like you literally, here's a, here's an airplane (laughs) ticket to Italy or Starbucks. Like, like, I love that you put it like that too, because it's like, there was that huge movement around like, stop buying lattes and save for retirement. It's like, or just think about what your goals are. Like do what you want, let your money do what you want it to do. We work very hard for it and we have one life, but don't be wasteful and don't go back to that psychological disconnect where it's like, oh, I can just do this every day. I can spend this much. I can do whatever I want. I never have to log into my 401k. I never have to figure out why my credit card balance is higher than my income. Like, yes, you do, unfortunately. And and you know, it's funny because I'm the one that handles all the bills. Yeah. And I'm the one that makes these big, big, huge purchases. Like we redid the house. We redid the basement, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And then my husband will say, well, I want to sign the kids up for hockey, which is another... (laughs) 
Is it, is it another college tuition payment, right? I yeah. know. I was like, run I, in the other direction. Enjoy hockey this much. Run, Cheryl, <laughs> run away from it. And and so I say, okay, I understand you want to put the kids in hockey and that they want to play hockey, but they're also playing travel baseball, travel softball, mm-hmm. volleyball, hockey. Yeah. I want you to understand because because but but when one person, my point is is when one person is the quote gatekeeper, right? Then they also become like the parent where I am totally. allowing or not allowing a purchase, where I'm the totally. bad guy, where I'm the one that's saying, look, we can't do all of it. You know, and then right. mom's the mean one, you know, or and Jim, you know, he, my husband, he backs me up, but he does give me the look also, which is well, why can't they do it? Like, I'm like, well, I don't know because right. it's we're, we're because we're 10 grand a year in sports for a 10 and 12 year old. That's why. Like, this right. is dumb. We've we've entered insanity. <laughs> this is we've entered insanity. We we're don't have there. that yeah. kind of money. But you also, if you're if you're a team. And yeah. someone says, I want a Gucci belt, or I want to go on a vacation, or I want to put the kids in XYZ, but you're a team, then husband goes, yeah, we're, we're not doing that, kids, because right. they are privy to the big picture. Exactly, exactly. And I, I love that concept of being on the same team Ugh. with your spouse or partner with yourself. Like, it's not what most people run into when they're hitting things like that with budget is I, I don't want to be the no, I don't want to be the police. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the parent. I don't want to be the sad Sally. But when we, if we look at a budget from an intentional spending place and we stop talking about, Oh, we're going to spend this much. We're going to invest. I, how much do we want to invest in our kids' sports? How much do we want to invest in cable TV? I mean, let's Ugh. talk about that. <laughs> right. How, I have 700 really, memberships. I now I, I cut cable. <laughs> I now have 700 I believe it. memberships I believe to television it. shows. I don't, yes. I, I, I'm probably at $500 a month for God knows what, but I'm, but I don't have cable. So there's that. So I'm winning. So we don't have cable. <laughs> yeah. Winning you're, you're with the hip kids. Yeah. You get to say like everyone else around the glass of wine. I don't have cable. I don't have cable. I don't have cable. For that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so true. It's these little decisions where it's, you can, approach it from something that is happening to you, or you can take the empowered. This is what we're doing. This is what we have money for. And this is how we're investing in the life that we want to have. And I think getting on the same page with someone of what does wealth mean to you? What does financial security mean to you? What does being rich mean? You know, some people love that word and some people hear it and it's like, ah, rich is bad. Like you've got to dig in to what these terms mean to you. Because if you're not, then it's easy to get caught up in the little things. And now you think it's Starbucks that's holding you back from your financial goals. When really, it's actually the concept of wealth. It's actually the concept of not having debt. It's things like that. So it's and it's really, really interesting. It's interesting because, I mean, if you think about it, okay, I, my whole relationship with money and income and ability to attract and get and earn money changed probably about six years ago when I decided that money was energy Mm -hmm. and that energy flows in, it flows out, you can attract it, you can, because what we know growing up in the seventies, eighties, 
you know, you saw the big money's the root of all evil. And so we had connotations. We've gotten connotations of money mm-hmm. from our parents, from our grandparents. So whatever side of, of the depression your grandparents landed on right. and how how wealth was. I mean, I had a my my maternal great grandmother was the person that you'd walk through her family room with stacks of magazines and stuff like that, hoarding magazines yeah. and, and, and and newspapers like that was a reality. So her daughter's daughter raised me. So there's a money issue there. And so when I decided to change money into energy, that really shifted because to me, money seemed difficult to get. It seemed like you were being more pious if you lived in a a, a smaller home and you you saved and you scrimped Mm -hmm. and struggled. You were a a, a more worthy person by your struggle, right? And so when I switched it over that money is only energy and I give out energy all day long in a million different ways, then of course, energy is going to come back to me in a million different ways, one of which is money, right? And so, so I think it's super important that we understand our relationship and how we view money and how right. we view having a, an account of money and, and how we view attracting and earning money and spending money. All these things I think need to be looked at. And P.S., Money is one of the number one reasons people get divorced. Oh, girl. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And get divorced in the traditional context, but also changes relationships with their parents, with their friends, with their work. Like wanting to ignore or defer from money is like wanting to defer from oxygen in (laughs) our society. Right. You won't be able to do that successfully. You can absolutely try. And I think something that was so wonderful about what you just shared is what you've done to heal your own perspectives. You're actually healing generations of perspectives. You know, it's not right or wrong. There's so much context to what has happened in our family life and why that's shaped the beliefs and the values and the perceptions of money all understood, but our job is to decide what that means in our life. And then by doing the work that you're talking about now, the next generation, your kids who are going to be very athletic, it sounds like on top of, you know, having great money mindsets, but there's all this other, they'll do, trust me, my kids will do plenty of work because of being raised and by me. But the, hopefully the money mindset and that mentality won't be part of it, or it will just look different for them. And I think getting out of these generational patterns is one of my favorite things to do when you're working with multiple, maybe it's the parents and the kids or the kids that brought in the parents looking at the different generations, because you can see how the same concept is playing out in a different time frame, And then we can actually correct like what the belief is instead of talking about all the other parts of what's happened in a family life, which are very fascinating, but more suited for Bravo, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and not just that, like, it's also interesting the way that, like you said, the word rich, wealth, success, those things have all also changed societally. Like when I, I talk about it all the time, like Chris Farley used to be on SNL, warning of the dangers of living in a van down by the river, because that meant you were the epitome (laughs) of a loser, right? Like we don't want to live in a van down by the river. Now the millennials look at living in a van down by the river as the 
most be most well (laughs) that is success have you know being on your laptop three hours a day and being in a van down by the river it's a mercedes sprinter but it's still a van down by the river it's very pinterest decked out but yeah maybe if chris farley had seen those he (laughs) would have had a different exactly but but yeah i mean everything is changing and i think and you know when mm-hmm. I'm reading this great book, Laura Bull. It's about is individual to empire, and she says, and this goes back to you, is what's the goalpost? What mm-hmm. is success? If we do not define success, be it with our goals with money, yeah. be it our goals with savings, our goals with investing, our goals with being on the same page with our spouse, with spending on sports, we don't. We, we it's it's it becomes a gray blob of nothing. Right. We don't know where we're headed. What are we? What are we not going to dinner for? Well, we're not going out to dinner because we're saving for a vacation. We're saving for college. We're saving for retirement. So right. we need to have a goalpost to see. Maybe we are. Maybe we're done saving. Right. Maybe Maybe we have enough. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like there's all these things that we need to understand with mm-hmm. an advisor to go, all right, we we do have our, our needs met or we just need to put in X amount more, which is not the end of the world. And yeah, we kill, st- can still sign the kids up for hockey. We're fine. Right. I think that's, and that's the number one job of the relationship between the client and the advisor is I want to understand you. I want to understand your perspectives, your beliefs, and your dreams and goals. But then part of that job too, is giving you the accountability. I say all day long, all kinds of things I want to do with my health and my fitness and my (laughs) life, my kids. And then if I don't have accountability to any of it, I'm just talking and it's all a nice idea, but nobody's reminding me like, Hey, you know, you probably don't need to have Froze all day if you want to like, get in shape. <laughs> you know, you need those people. And it's the same in our financial life. It is okay to do what you want to do with your money as long as you're being accountable to yourself and hopefully accountable to a good advisor about why you are where you are and what your numeric reality is actually reflecting about what you really want. Like yeah. maybe you don't really want to retire at 55. Maybe you really... Funding college isn't the full goal for you. And that's okay too. I think something that I hope to correct with my own practice and really influence in the industry is taking people out of the shame of what they're supposed to be doing with their money based on some ridiculous, you know, article, radio show, whatever it is, and really building that relationship between what you can do with your money. You know, if you decide to go from a budget to an intentional spending plan. And now instead of going to Starbucks, you're going to your locally women-owned, like awesome coffee shop. You're doing something with your money that's reflecting the way you want to see the world. And that's a really powerful thing that 100% because you know what? We vote with our money, whether people realize it or not, we vote with our money of the people we want to support, the businesses we want to support, the way, you know, like, and I do kick myself every time I order every single day, all day long from Amazon. I do have, I do have self-hatred because I'm supporting. We will be in a support group. (laughs) But (laughs) But it it is It was really interesting talking to my husband about like, I don't think I can, like, I can't reconcile this in my brain. I don't agree with X, Y, and Z about whatever, but yet, like, there's something really lovely about, oh, I need a bike lock and it's here in like 24 hours. So and I didn't have to schlep 
30 minutes to Target. I went nowhere. I 30 saw minutes no people. in Target. <laughs> I saw no people. I didn't spend money. I didn't need to not spend. Like that's the yeah. like I order from Costco for the sheer factor. I do not want to spend an additional five hundred dollars on shit that I do not need. Like right. I just want to get my my mac and cheese and coffee. Like it's okay. <laughs> So, so speaking well, of and money is okay. Like let's give grace to ourselves because part yeah. of getting people out of like the shame that society has put on some of the things with our money is having that grace to say yeah. like, yes, let that be. If, if that's more important to you, if the convenience, if whatever you're valuing that and that's okay, let's move on. Let's get to the next piece of the pie. Well, and I see that like with working moms with Instacart, because like the more I'm, like yes. I've ramped up my, my days and I don't really have that kind of time to be going to the grocery store. I can't imagine women who are like 40 hours a week, all, you know, in the office at eight, out of the office at six, picking up the kids at daycare, right. getting home by 630. Oh, and PS, you have to make dinner and go grocery shopping. I don't know. So we do have to give ourselves some space and understand that yes. like, if you got an Instacart and like, or just pick up your, like, these things are here for us to make our lives a little bit easier, allow them. Yeah. So, so speaking of spending money, how... How, like the, a financial plan, it sounds expensive. Like where, where well, like, isn't like, it fancy? It yes. sounds fancy. Like I have my, <laughs> call my financial planner. And I'll oh, tell my, my money. I already feel them looking down on you. I think something that's really incredible that's happened in the last five, five years is really when it's gotten a lot of traction. It's been happening since I started in this industry is seeing the access that people are getting to the trading and financial advice and all of that through technology. It's, it's really incredible because what used to be like a few thousand dollars and you drive into the office and the office has mahogany and red carpet rolled out, all of that is like dying and going away. And now people are logging into an app and seeing everything right away. I think for my practice, it's important to me that there's access on either side. There's an asset management option. There's a financial planning option. And typically those fees start around $100 a month for me, but I'm very open. I know you could go on other sites and talk to not a person, but maybe like a different platform. And I think it's really important for people to understand what do they want from a financial planner? Like, what are you looking for? If you want efficiency, sometimes that, you know, boutique practice, that's not the experience that you need. But if you do want to work on some other things that are maybe more psychological or emotional, or there's intergenerational planning, that app might not be enough for what you're looking for. But I think that's one of the most incredible things that's happened is once you know what you are looking for, there's a thousand options to get it. I'm yeah. just the best one. Of but. course. Well, of course. Cheryl. <laughs> so, so there's, so like I have a 401k from my husband's mm-hmm. past job and we gave that 401k to a guy. We got a guy. Everyone's got a guy, right? We got a guy. We got a yep. gal, right? Yeah. So it's given to a guy and that's, they're just kind of holding that 401k and reinvesting it and moving it around and all that kind of stuff. But that's not a financial plan. No, no. So really a financial plan looks at their foundation. So understanding what's your net worth, what do you own? What do you owe? And then looking at cash flow, what's the income coming into the household? What are the expenses going out? protection planning is a really important piece there. So understanding what kinds of insurance you have versus the kinds of risk that you face 
and if there are any adjustments or tweaks there. And then you deep dive into specific goals. So whether it's education planning, retirement planning, whatever that looks like for you, understanding your goals. And that's where the value, excuse me, the value piece comes into play because most of the foundational things, that's all the math, you know, that, and it's not hard math and it's very easy, fun math, but it's really easy to say this is your net worth number. This is how much you're spending. When we get into your goals, understanding your values first is the most important part because if I value X, Y, and Z, but I'm just going back to the Amazon example or whatnot, or even like the convenience example, if I do value efficiency, I'm going to use an Instacart all day long. I'm going to use these things because that's where my values are aligned with some financial behavior. And then we can take that and really paint the picture of your goals. And to your point, a lot of times people are on track for what they want to do. They just didn't put it in the context like that. Or maybe there's some aspects of risk that like, yes, you're on track, but we need to adjust where things are being held. One really important thing. So I affiliate with Ameriprise Financial and I love their technology piece on this where we can go when you log into your account, you can see right away, this is the money and this is the goal that it's for. And this is where I stand with that goal. It's one of the first things you see. And then you also have the ability to rename each account. So I don't have a retirement account. I have an independence account because when I look at my retirement account, it's like, all right, well, that's not fun. But when I think about my independence, that's aligned with my values. And that really helps kind of connect between what that means to me and what I want that to look like in my financial life. And then the third piece is total view, which is like a Fitbit for your money. You can load in really anything with an electronic login and get a real time net worth number. So having those three components of the values being reflected in what you actually call the accounts, tracking the goal right away, and then seeing in real time, you know, because we have been, or we're still in a pandemic And back in March and April, when there was extreme market volatility, going into total view and seeing, okay, this is happening, but here's your net worth. And here's what that means for your goal. Having all of those pieces in place really created a lot of financial confidence for people in an incredibly uncertain time. And that's the goal. You really want to stay confident even when things are changing because they're changing every day. Yeah. I will say that like, because I have a house that I bought. 20 years ago in Ohio and knowing that that house is there mm-hmm. and that like literally if all hell broke loose that I could go there and my family could go there and there's good schools and we could literally like collect pop bottles and make the mortgage payment because it was bought so long ago you know there's a few bucks out on it, it there's so much peace yes. in having that parachute of life like if we sold this house and we sold that and we, and we can just go there and we could literally work at Target and make that payment. And it doesn't have to be a whole harangue. Cause like, you know, there's only so many people in the world that are vice president of sports. So if my husband couldn't find another job because there's only so many sports teams, like I always look at that and go, but I've got that, right. but that's there. Right. And right. so, you know, these little, you know, and when, you know, when we had a big, huge change in our life, knowing that we had a few bucks over here and a few bucks over there to land on that is life changing confidence. And it actually is funny because when you do have those parachutes in place, you live life differently. 
Absolutely. You don't live in fear. You're not a nervous wreck. You don't speak from fear base with your kids of we can't have that because there's not enough money. Like saying stuff like that to your kids is so damaging and creates so much fear around their everyday life. Like, well, does that mean we don't have enough food and maybe you don't have to get me a birthday present? And that's okay. I won't ask for new shoes, even though I'm walking around and there's a hole in the bottom of my shoes, but you've instilled so much fear in me that I'm afraid to ask. Like we don't really want to put our kids, even if we are, you know, like I made 12 bucks an hour when I was a single mom, trust me, I know what broke looks like, but I never wanted to put my kids in a state of panic or fear or less than, or we don't have enough mentality. And And I think that we need to really understand that our relationship with money and putting a little bit away every month is so beneficial to having confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, like I will say to my husband all the time, you know, I never want you to panic about your job because we'll be okay. You know, because we have the Ohio house, you know, like, or whatever, like we're, we're fine. Like, I don't want you to ever keep a job that you don't like, which he likes his job but based on the fact of fear. And so when we put ourselves in a position to not see and be in fear of money or the fear of lack of money, it changes your entire life. The more money we've ever had in a savings account, the more I actually feel emblazoned and empowered to go out and help more people and do more things because I have like a little bit of padding to fall back on, you know, it just, right. it just changes the energy, you know, of, of, exactly. of everything. So exactly. let me ask you this. Cause, cause like, I'm pretending like I'm going to, you know, go and use you and I'm going to call my husband when I get off this and I'm going to say, look, we need to do a plan. You you know, and, <laughs> I am. and so are you going to say, yeah, you can't, you can't keep buying stuff like that. Like you need to settle down. Oh, on the am, I, am I mean boss? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to tell me no more of stuff? You know, are you going to tell me that? I love that question because it really goes back. I think you're hitting on two pieces here. It's important to know the costs of financial services, any cost, whether it's fees in the retirement account, fees at the bank, like there's costs everywhere and there has to be value. And it says for some people that are a little bit more like hands-on with their finances, there's not going to be a tremendous amount of value because they've got their tracking and they've got these guideposts of where they feel secure. And that's great. Our job, my job specifically, is to really focus in on what you need from your financial life and how do you get there. And going back to like, it is not my job to shame people. And in many ways, it's not my job to correct their spending. It's important to know things like these are the points of my life that make me feel financially confident. Maybe it's a certain amount in a savings account. Maybe it's a property like this. Maybe it's knowing X, Y, and Z. But then where are the blind spots that, because we all have them, you know, where are the parts that I'm not paying enough attention that I need some context and some accountability And that's the job of a good financial planner is to really provide the context to how you achieve your goals and understand who you are as a person. What are some of the psychological or emotional blocks between you and your goals? And then how do we get on the track that you want to be on? Because it's not about my track or, you know, keeping you to a certain spending plan or doing this or that. It's about you having a good life and a good financial life, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I think this is important for people, whether you're making $2,000 a month Mm -hmm. or $20,000 a month, because 
when when you're making the two thousand dollars a month, you always think, well, when I'm 40, when I'm 30, when I'm 50, I'll make more money and I can save for retirement then. Right. Right. You know, like you need, even if it's just putting away a hundred dollars a month or, you know, really tackling a Roth IRA every single year, as much as you can, there's a lot of really great financial tools that can be used when, when you're, when you're not making a lot of money that you can take advantage of. Like I tell my, I have two older kids, 22 and 25, and they're just they're. I mean, they're so much better than me. Like I used to like, I'd get paid and I'd go to like Macy's and buy clothes and shoes. And I was in credit card debt. Like they're not doing like, there's so much more information for these kids these days. Mm -hmm. It's so great, but it's important no matter how much money you're making to, to really invest in, in you invest in your future, invest in your family, you know, cause what happens? This is a perfect example. Putting off waiting for retirement is like when you put off saving for Christmas until November. And then oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same energy. So if you're a person that doesn't save every month for Christmas and then all of a sudden Christmas shows up and you're like, shit, I have no money. Welcome to retirement. <laughs> like that's what it's going to look like. Times a million. Yes. Times and a million. I think, yeah. I think it's such a great point is it's about the discipline, figuring out money, building the kind of life you want from a wealth perspective is about your day-to-day disciplines. And what are those small habits that you can put into place, no matter what your financial life looks like, that really gets you to where you want to be? Because I think that's so true. And I've seen that in my life. And I've seen that in the clients that I work with. It's like, oh, when there's more, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, what makes you think that? It's like, oh, when I'm 35, I'll run a marathon. It's like, you never go running though. Like, (laughs) You're doing nothing to get there for a run. Like, how's that going to work out? So, you know, and that goes back to the psychological work of why do you want to do that? What's the goal here? What, what does that mean to you? And then why aren't you trying to do it each day? There's a reason that hopefully we all get up and brush our teeth at least twice a day. Like we started doing that a long time ago. And unless you're like me, you know, (laughs) my, I'm just a dentist dream, but you know, (laughs) usually that gives you a really healthy habit that you can keep in place long-term. And it's the exact same thing with your money. It's just about building habits. Yeah. It's not just about building that, but foundationally. And then you don't miss it. Like we, like I always look at everything, like it's like car insurance. You just pay it every month. It's just the way that it is. So you might as well pay yourself, pay your, you know, future person, future self, because we're paying insurance. But okay. So I have to ask you. And that's you, why I love those names of the accounts yeah. too. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I do want to put money towards my independence. Yeah. I do want to put money towards safety or, you know, whatever the values are, because that's so much more fun. So much more fun. Yeah. So much more fun. So I have to ask you, I, I, we, in our pre-interview, I talked about the top three biggest mistakes that mm. you see when it comes to being like a financial planner, what have you seen out there? What are your top big three mistakes people are making? Yeah, we've talked a lot about the first one, which is just creating disconnect between you and your money. And however you're doing that, you know, whether it's just, I don't look at this, I don't look at my bank account, I don't look at my investments. You really want to change that perception to this is a relationship. This is one of the most important relationships and you don't want to be disconnected from one of your most important relationships. So really looking at what kind of small habits you can start with to build that relationship and really take away that disconnect, I think is crucial. Mm-hmm. The second one is 
the myth that women are bad with money or that money is about math. Like it drives me so bonkers too. And I I'm still in an industry where the role that I'm in working with clients and the capacity that I work with is still in, depending on the day of when they do the study between 80 and 87% male. So I hear it a lot (laughs) and I understand that it's deeply ingrained in our society. But what I know to be true is that women are amazing investors. Women are disciplined spenders. When we get more money in the hands of women, it directly goes back into their families and their communities. They build better societies. So the narrative about women and money, I want to destroy with my life's work. So that's yeah, right. Well, it, it it feeds the give the men the money. Exactly. It, it just builds. Who benefits from if, that story? Totally. totally. <laughs> Come on, guys. If you had the, the teacher in middle school tell you you weren't good at this or, you know, you went to home at class and you got to sew and the boy went to bounce the checkbook. Like this is where we learn. And and also let's just recall that like nobody woke up in their mid 30s, mid 40s, mid 50s with any of these concepts. Like we created them over a lifetime of experiences and narratives and all of that fun stuff. So take some time with where that came from, because that we know from the data, it's completely untrue. You know, women asset managers are amazing. The day-to-day behaviors, like there's so much better data to combat that. And it's still a really popular misconception. Yeah. So women are good. Slowly kill. Women Mm. are amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes right to the third part too. If you are in a a partnership, a marriage, and you are making financial decisions with someone, build the strengths of each other. You know, don't you do this, I do that, and never do the two discuss. Like really creating those times where you can talk about your dreams and your goals, talk about what wealth means to you, and then understand like, okay, here's where we are today. Here's our numeric reality. Here's how we're saving and Here's what our liabilities are. Trying to just diffuse some of the tension that can come up in relationships over money and make it about like, what's the life we're building together? Because that can be a lot more, just a lot more sustainable. And to your point, when we don't have that sustainability in a relationship, you might be soulmates from the heavens that like, they haven't even written a romance book about yet. Right. But if you can't get on the same page with this piece, it will just break down the trust and the relationship, the ownership and the perceptions of one another. And so that's where I think there can be a lot of value working with a financial professional too for couples. And when I talk to people, like I, you know, I, I do counseling and coaching with a bunch of different folks. And one of the things that I see is either people that are married that like you're saying, they're not checked in, they're not both checked in or there's, you know, they've been married for X amount of time and they still have separate accounts. That to Mm -hmm. me is mind blowing. Like if you do not trust your spouse with your energy, (laughs) there's more going on here. So like, I I know, and I know there's a lot of people out there listening who are going to say, well, my husband and I have separate accounts and it works for us. And he pays half the mortgage and I pay half the mortgage. I just can't breathe with it. But you're going to, I'm going to blow your mind because I'm going to be one of those people. Are you really? So in our, so we have found, and I also, I own my own practice. So like I have a business account, you know, there is some complexity to our situation, but we have found that it, it really helps to have like, this is your fun. This is your fun money. Yeah, no, my yeah. fun money. I don't even know what goes on in that 
yeah. account. I know it's golf, but I don't need to right. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I agree and with And then have like we, a we shared are the account, same. but yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. If there's not transparency and yeah. then it's truly like you do your thing, I do my thing. Are you going to buy a house together? Are you going to retire together? Are you going to raise a family together? Because yeah. there has to be a reflection of what resources you need to do things together yeah. somewhere in the financial picture. But you're right. If it's about like, when you're not talking about money with your spouse, it's usually because there's, there's mistrust. There might be financial infidelity. There might be all kinds of other things about it. It's not just like a, I'm an independent woman kind of vibe. And then or you end up like Erica Girardi. It's just a real rough, real rough ride yes. this season. I mean, I know. And it, even hearing, okay, so now we're going to go down the Bravo wormhole, but just come with us, guys. It's fine. <laughs> hearing the way that these women talk to each other about what's happening with Erica. And it's like, well, how did you not know that it was going on in your LLC? And I have this much wealth. So I do this, but I have this much wealth. So my husband does that. It's like, Oh my gosh. I was, when are we going to get someone in there to talk to like to moderate this discussion because we're passing down these terrible misconceptions of like well my I don't need to know that because my husband would never do that and if I asked him about the money he would tell me. It's like, well, n- no. Like and you guys she did ask her husband. It. She did ask her husband. Right. And he just kept giving her a credit card to spend. This is all on housewives of Beverly Hills, but this, I mean, these are real people and this is really playing are, out. And I mean, this is a real exactly. thing, but like, well, the, it's not the first time we've seen a city of housewives where there's some ridiculous, like financial scandal yeah. and it gets glossed over. I mean, it's entertainment and I understand that, but it's not like, this it's is still real, real life. And yeah. when you're hearing the way their friends are talking about their real life, it's like, well, what's going on there? Like, so you guys aren't talking about money either. Like, is that the right. key? It's, it's just really, really shocking to watch. Yeah. And, and, and that's that, you know, I'm always like, stop trying to raise our daughters as these princesses who yes. just get whisked off to vacations and whisked off to dinners. And, you know, like I talked to my girlfriends, like, you know, I understand that you want your husband to buy you a, you know, a very expensive diamond ring, but what's that in lieu of like, what goals yeah. could you have had, you know, that, or you do have financially, I know it's fun to get a four carat diamond ring, but don't you have I any, mean. <laughs> I wish I was joking. Um, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I know, but, but there, but I look at it and I'm like, well, I would like to have that, but there's so many other things I'd want to do with that money. Like, yes, it's, it's fun to be the princess, but eventually you have to grow up and be the queen and start deciding what you're going to do with your money. So that being said, what are the best things besides hiring Cheryl Boyd as their financial <laughs> planner? What are some top three things a, a woman can do, like maybe starting today or this week yes. to change and help their financial picture big, big big picture, whether they're married or not, like what can we do as women? Well, and you know, to that point, you can have these, this wealthy life, you can have this good stuff. This is about being empowered in what that means. It's not about like good or like, is this thing good or bad necessarily? I am a big fan of James Peterson's book, Atomic Habits and the concept about the 1% change. Like what can you do that's actually something sustainable? Because I hear a lot of times this rhetoric around personal finance of like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to buy a money journal and I'm going to write in it every day. It's like, well, do you journal ever? 
Like, because <laughs> you're not going to do it. Yeah, right. you're not going to do it. And so I think finding the micro stuff is really important. And it can be something as simple as I'm going to log into my bank account every day. I'm going to log into my retirement account once a week. I'm just going to start looking at these numbers. You know, I'm going to start spending some time with it. Going back to your relationship with money, you've got to invest the time and that's okay to just start small if it feels intimidating or stressful or whatever. So I think that's really crucial. I think understanding your own money narrative is key and thinking back on some prompts, like what's your first memory of money? What's the first thing you bought? What's the first time you felt stress around it? What are some decisions that you've made that you feel really good and empowered by? What were some decisions that you felt just like, I don't know how to handle money because of X, Y, and Z. So I think that narrative is really key because then you can start to identify like, oh, is that true? Like, am I bad at money because I took out a student loan? Is that real? Like that's, that doesn't sound real. There's a lot of people with that kind of thing that are still very confident and good with money. And so I think that's crucial. And then the third thing I'm always going to advocate finding someone that can help you with this. And hopefully it's a financial professional with a fiduciary obligation that's really focused on a long-term relationship with you and your money. But even if it's a friend that you're just like, I'm going to talk to the person I trust the most or your spouse, like let's get some conversations around money so that it stops being ambiguous and vague. And it just starts feeling normal to talk about these kinds of things. And if you are in a relationship and you do walk up to your spouse or partner and say, I want to talk about the money and they have a, like a stroke out and they freak out and they don't want to ding, 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 red flag. I mean, we've seen it on the shows already. (laughs) Go start watching Housewives. You'll find out. It's never going to end well. Never going to end well. not a storyline that ever gets a good look at the reading (laughs) and I'll just put it that way. Never goes well. I do think that's, yeah. Now I know I'm supposed to do three, but I do have a couple more. It's so important to really see what's happening in that context. If you're in a relationship, making financial decisions together, but it's not a peaceful discussion, that's okay. It's not, that's not the first like red flag, but if it's never a peaceful discussion, if it's always a fight, if it's a very like, you get this and I'm not going to talk to you about that, that's financial abuse. And that's very, very serious. And it can happen very strategically over time, or it can just be one big blow up and then you never talk about it again. And that's where professional help can hopefully diffuse, but then also, you know, start naming things for what they are and really letting you decide, is that the context that I want to stay in? If we can't have a conversation about Starbucks, I mean, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing that I see in relationships. Like it's, you don't want to, I don't want to be anyone's mom and be, like I said, the gatekeeper to the things we are and aren't spending money on and do, and we are and aren't doing. Like, I don't yeah. want to be the one where Jim, like, cause Jim will actually say to me, well, I, 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 I don't know. You, you decide because I don't know where we are financially. I'm like, oh no, no, you come on over here and take a look at <laughs> well, where we're at financially. Let me show you what, where we're at financially. You know, like there being good, no. <laughs> yeah, good, bad or ugly. Here's a screenshot of right. our accounts, right? Like you're not going to make me the scapegoat to no. what we are and aren't doing. But then also there's, so there's, that's the, in the real time situation, but like, you also need to know what your retirement is going to look like. Like mm-hmm. if you're 
if your spouse is not talking about what we're doing as far as where the money's going, how much we're putting there, what our retirement looks like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, what are our plans? Because guess what? Especially if you're a stay-at-home mom and you're not building your own 401k, God forbid you get a divorce and you thought your husband was putting money in 401k or he has a really good lawyer and you don't get his 401k. There's a lot going on as far as finding. I just talked to someone the other day and they're like, well, I just wanted out of the marriage. And so I let them keep their entire 401k. And I look at that and I'm like, so where's your retirement? Because while you yeah. were at home raising those kids and cleaning dirty laundry and, and, and all that stuff and keeping a house, he's been building a career. He's been building a life. He's been building a resume. He's been building his 401k. And now you're 20 years into now a divorce with no career, no resume, yeah. no 401k, period. Yeah. And women are wrecking. I mean, there's so much that goes into you need to be sound in your money. Like, this is not a joke. And everyone's going to be married forever until they're not. Exactly. Well, and yeah, I, oh, now we're going to get going. (laughs) Okay, ladies, buckle up. There are hundreds of thousands of hours in unpaid labor that is only done by women in this country. And so if you actually, gave a stay-at-home mom a salary for all the jobs she's doing. She is making six figures because you are the chef, you are the driver, you are the nanny, you are the teacher, laundry, you are the cleaning psychologist, lady, right. you are the like, give me yeah. a break. And sometimes in these situations, if there is not a fiduciary involved, so sometimes attorneys will bring in a CFP or certified financial planner to say like, okay, this is how much that would be worth. This is how much they would need for college, whatever. If you don't have that person on your legal team, that exact same thing happens. Surprise, you're getting a divorce. Everybody wants out of the marriage, but the money is still important here. And that's going to set the context for whatever the next stage of your financial life looks like. So you've got to stay. I know there's fatigue. I know it's incredible, incredibly draining. I've watched clients go through it, but it's also like, let's just go back to being objective and practical and getting advice from somebody who's responsible for giving it to you. I think working with a fiduciary is one of the most important things people need to focus on right now, because there are so many books, so many podcasts, so many shows, like you can get financial advice from anywhere, but you've got to ask yourself who's responsible for this advice. If it goes wrong, like yeah. what happened? If I do this, if I watch Saturday night live and purchase something because of what I hear on it, and then that goes wrong, who do I call? Like yeah. who cares at that? And if the answer is you, by the way, that's great too. That's empowering. Like I call myself and maybe I fire myself on those kind of decisions, but I just think when you're not getting fiduciary-based advice and you're not keeping the long-term in mind, we can become so reactive and you're in survival mode and you're just beat up. And then you land into a scenario and a year later, it's like, why did I agree to do that in the divorce decree? Like, why are my kids still at public or private school? Why are, why X, Y, and Z? Like, I don't have the money for that. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to watch because I think it happens disproportionately to women. And it just goes unchecked. Like, well, are you going to go back to court and renegotiate that? Probably not. So now we're making different financial trade-offs because of the wrong context. And I find it very sad 
Because when a woman is at home or vice versa, when one person's at home raising the kids and and manning the household and one is going to work and putting money into 401k, that is still that couple's retirement account. Just because that person goes into work and is saving by way of that vehicle, that still is that wife also. That wife is also doing without that monthly money. And she is also investing that money into a 401k plan. But then all of a sudden it's time for a divorce and everyone's judging the woman for taking the husband's 401k. What in the actual shit? You know what I mean? That what is they should not- really be judging is whatever financial professional didn't have them doing a spousal IRA on the side. But that's one other piece. I think it's just, it's crazy. You're right. They, the woman is contributing to the family's financial life by not having the family hire seven professionals just to replace what she is doing with yeah. her time. Yeah. You know, when we look at life insurance and there's one person staying at home and there's one person working, it's like, well, they're working. So nope. If we hired you, that's a millions of dollars in, you know, potential economic value for the family. Yeah. I mean, my life insurance is it's about half of what Jim's is, but because he knows our family knows that if I die, we need, there's a lot that needs to have happen. Like there's going to, we need drivers. We need, we need nannies. We need cleaning people more often. We need someone to help with the laundry. Because he's not here to do all of those things. Right. We don't need to hire a garbage can taker routerer. Jim's got that. <laughs> Jim will be able to man the garbage we'll can taker routerer. We'll find a way to make that happen. Invaluable but, skill. But you know what but, I mean? Yeah. Like th- they. Yeah. That's important. And that's one thing. Do you also get with people? Because I know this is a huge gaping hole gaping hole as far as people is making sure that they do have the wills and the trusts and Mm. the powers of attorney for medical, financial, living wills. Because so many people I know that are in their 50s, 60s have children in and out of the house. They're missing large portions of planning. Oh, yeah. They need. And then all of a sudden, everyone's pissed because the person's in the hospital and we don't have any of our forms ready. We have no we forms. Never thought they would go to the hospital. They were Jesus never going I can't. Um, uh, now you're, so that's actually part of the financial plan. The foundational elements is looking at estate planning and people hear estate and they're like, oh, I don't have an estate. It's like, well, do you, you have do. a pulse? Right. You have an estate. <laughs> you right? have an estate. Surprise, you're rich now. Right. <laughs> you're alive. Right? But it was, you know, I had to do my own work around it when we, cause we had kids like a little less, less thought around it than maybe the average person. It was like, Oh, we have kids now. Okay. Yay. And I would tell, I would sit across from clients and be like, what are your, what's your estate plan? Here's an attorney you can work with. Here's some, you know, solutions online, potentially, if you have questions about those, like, here's what they look like. Here's where they make sense. Here's where they don't. And then they're like, well, what did you do? I'm like, uh-huh. Well, here's where you can do it. Let's not, I don't want to talk about it. I have my own thing with dying and, you know, control issues about my kids. Like, and it's all coming up and I'm not going to talk about it with you. And it took us almost, our son was almost three by this. Well, he was two. So that's That's not too bad, but it was really, I think what was most difficult about that was specifically when you have kids. You can appoint a guardian, but you can actually appoint two guardians. So one person that would raise your kids, that's more value aligned. And then one person who handles the financial aspects because 
if both my husband and I died, like many families, there would be all kinds of financial decisions to make. And sometimes, you know, humans are humans. So the more you can delegate that out and create accountability, the better it is for your family. And so I, I don't prepare any estate documents directly. I'm not an attorney, but you, but we work with great ones. Yeah. You point in the direction of, and it's the accountability. You know, if I've told you for four years to get an estate plan and you're not me, so I can't be nice to you about it. <laughs> What's going on here? Like, is there, did something happen? You know, cause a lot of times ignoring that kind of thing in your financial life has nothing to do with like, oh, it's hard to write a will. It's more about like the thought of dying is like anxiety producing for me. I don't want to miss moments with my kids. I already feel like I am, you know, there's all kinds of different things that are actually happening. It has yeah. very little to do with that. So it's like, okay, well, we're still going to do it. <laughs> let's we talk still about have that. to power through. Let's work through that. And yeah. then let's, let's get it done. And I think especially, you know, this is my first pandemic. I think it's yours as well. Right. Well, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I, I try to just do one a lifetime. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this one. And you know, I, I don't think I've thrived at the beginning, but <laughs> I'm headed for a comeback. <laughs> but this really brought about like those kinds of fears for people, you yeah. know, we, and maybe there were economic and financial things too. And those can be a little bit more, there's easy to understand. Cause it's like, yeah, it is stressful when your job changes and X, Y, and Z, but it's really stressful when there's a huge unknown around our health and how do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our families? What's happening in our community? It's, it's brought so much of that to the forefront. Forefront. So, Huge. Yeah, state planning. A lot more popular right yeah, now. <laughs> right. Well, I so appreciate you spending all this time with with us. And we have just we've hit everything from, you know, the Girardis to Bravo housewives. to <laughs> Housewives to estate planning. It's a, it's been a full <laughs> throttle. Life, they episode. All need better money <laughs> conversation. But and you also I know, please. right? And you are offering anyone. So it's going to be in the show notes, your link to yes. your website. So anyone that uses the link in the show notes, yes. or so, whoever you found me, because it could also, it might be coming out if you have a newsletter too, like you might be sharing it. So there's yes. a, wherever you find this link, go ahead, you explain <laughs> it. <laughs> in the computer, where they're all living. So I am a financial wellness provider through Ameriprise, which means that we either do, you know, workshops, webinars on different financial topics, but I also have a website where you can go on your own time, you know, because if you're like me, this all comes up at three in the morning anyways. So yes. hard to call someone at that time <laughs> and go through calculators, articles on all these different aspects of your financial life. On that site, there is a request for some time. And so for the listeners of this podcast, absolutely. We'll sit down for an hour and just talk through your financial life, your goals, creating a timeline and understanding what you need. And then if you do choose to move forward with financial planning, we're offering a hundred dollar discount as well. Yay. So all my so. listeners get a hundred dollar discount. Yay. I'm taking advantage of that. I know you are. I'm going to get the hundred dollars off. This. <laughs> I know. Right. Well, and it's, you know, our fees are billed monthly. So when people start the relationship, you know, we want to get the plan and the recommendations right out the gate and then, you know, see if it's the right fit for you. Yeah. And we want, my goal is to point you in the right direction of where you can get the best financial support. Well, I'm just kind of looking at this as the Cheryl and Meredith team against travel hockey. I see the t-shirt. I see it. I see I, I, a yeah, team building. <laughs> 
I'm such a bad mom. I'm such a bad mom. I know. Listen, yes, we're we're both amazing moms and we're also bad moms. And that's what's fun about it. And I think it's so important too to remember like mom guilt, working mom, these phrases do not translate to our male counterparts. And so I think you're a, I'm working hard to make good choices, mom. Yes, and exactly. they don't involve hockey. Well, I just <laughs> okay. have loved being with you today. I've had so much fun. Like, it's amazing how much you can actually talk about money. It's amazing oh, yeah. how many topics touch it. So like, this has been super fun and I really appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge. And I hope everyone is calling you and getting their hour appointment to figure out like, if it makes sense for them, like it's not going to make oh, sense totally. for everybody, but it's not going to make sense for everybody. Hey. And I, but take the time, you know, take let's the hour. sit down and talk it through. Absolutely. And, and figure it out. And it's, you know, like I'm going to tell both of my kids to call you. And cause like, I'm, I know, I know they're yeah. 22 and 25, but Hey, it's going to wake them up to, do I really need to buy my friends fillets and cook them for them every Saturday? And you know, that kind of, right. I mean, I know I'm coming uh, to visit Cody, <laughs> buy me a fillet, but seriously, well, you know, this at is that age, like yeah. the things you have to do to start saving for retirement. It's so different because you have time on your side and that mm-hmm. only goes down, you know, as we get older. So it's, it's amazing to see, to start working with that generation. Yeah, it is cool. And, and they're, they're, they're ready. It's, it's time to start those habits. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the savings habits is starting today, but thank you so much, my love. I so thank appreciate you. you being here. I hope oh. everyone that's listening calls and the, go to the show notes. She's on Instagram at Cheryl Boyd, B-O-Y-D-C-H-E-R-Y-L Boyd. So check her out on Instagram and then the website address, which is long and lengthy will be in the show notes. So click on that to get your hundred dollars off for listening. And she's also on LinkedIn at Cheryl Nelson Boyd. And that's in the show notes as well. So hit her up, ask her questions, make your free hour appointment and get on board with planning out the rest of your financial life and quit being afraid of it and putting your head in the sand. Cause guess what? We're the, today is the youngest we're ever going to be. Today's the day. Oh, I love that. Today's the youngest we're going to be. And damn, we look good. So, (laughs) yes, we really do. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Oh, you too. Thank you so much for having me. I love the work that you're doing. I think you're creating such amazing resources for women in these topics that are hard to talk about. And it's not easy work, and you're crushing it. So, Uh thank you. Thanks, hon. All right. I'll see everybody here next week. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect on a more personal level, head over to MeredithWillits.com or on Instagram at Meredith with a Y for behind the scene footage and outtakes. Please subscribe and come back each week for more Meredith with a Y. Thanks again for listening. Cheers.